I'm Alan Kogan. Join me as I tour the country tasting different whiskeys and discussing the craft of distillation with local distillers, whiskey lovers, and even those who are new to the culture of spirits. Welcome to The Kogan Conversation. In this episode, I traveled to the Thumb of Wisconsin to visit beautiful Door County. I sat down with Chris Radel, the owner of Hatch Distilling in Egg Harbor, Wisconsin. Be sure to give us a follow and share to help spread the word of our craft distillery journey. Enjoy the episode. Cheers. Here at the Hatch Distillery with Chris. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Yeah, I well, I appreciate you having me here at the distillery. It's pretty fun to do this on site and mm-hmm. try different samples with you. And self-admittedly, I, I mean, my listeners know I'm from Wisconsin, born and raised, and I've been up to Door County my entire childhood. My, my grandparents retired up here twenty some years ago, and uh, I'm like, you know, I know Hatch exists. I know you guys started in 2018, like you said, right? And uh, I haven't been here or tried your whiskey before, so here's my chance to learn about how great it is. Yeah, well, we're here today, and we can we can catch up on lost time. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into this, and tell me about Hatch. Yeah, I usually joke that uh, you only get into something like this from a, a cocktail party gone bad, <laughs> and it is a little bit of that. So, I grew up in Lake Mills, Wisconsin, which is uh, South Central Wisconsin, and I grew up in a really bizarre industry, which was uh, poultry farming. Oh wow! My grandparents opened up a egg business in 1947 and that I was the third generation to work in that family business Um, and along the way I decided that one I wasn't cut out for uh, large-scale agriculture so that business evolved into owning 20 million laying hens wow and produced uh, eggs for mainly um, large corporations like McDonald's Burger King um, mayonnaise manufacturers, any anybody who used eggs in their process. Um, I thought I'd be a farmer. I ended up working a desk job, and, and most of that time at the desk job, I was spent daydreaming of ways to do something different and get out from behind the desk. Um, some of those ideas were, gosh, a goat dairy farm, um, uh, a pasture-raised beef. And the one idea that finally stuck was... Uh, uh, distilling. Hmm. So I spent uh, two or three years doing as much research as I could. I learned the language, learned the process enough to um, kind of combine that with my ag business uh, experience and get a job in the industry. I uh, did that for about three years as I learned by doing. Um, that led to uh, opening up our own. Um, along the way, uh, back to that kind of poultry background, I got into beekeeping. So as I turned off my animal husbandry brain um, and became more of a more of an agricultural accountant, I needed something for that outlet to that hands on. My wife, like I said, would not let me start a goat dairy in our backyard. But the one thing she did allow me to do was uh, start beekeeping. Okay. And so um, like most things in my life, I jump into the deep end and that hobby quickly grew out of control so as we were uh, evolving the idea of starting a distillery the idea of incorporating honey uh, came in 
play and we grew the beekeeping operation and so now um, part of what we do here is we use honey any way we can and we actually make a gin uh, from 100% honey. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool and it's all yeah. your honey. It's not all our honey. So uh, what I learned the hard way, like <laughs> I learn everything, is that, um, man, beekeeping is a lot of work, especially on a commercial scale. Uh, it takes about probably 300 hives to supply the honey we would need for a year. Oh, wow. I keep about 50. Okay. Um, and of the 50 I keep, I'm not the best beekeeper because I'm pulled in so many directions and so busy. Um, so we don't even get the, I, I would say in a good year, we might supply 10% of the honey we need. Sure. Um, and most of that actually goes to um, selling the honey we have on the shelf that's just 100% honey. The rest we get from a Wisconsin beekeeper who, um, another cool story, he's a second generation uh, beekeeper. He inherited the business from his father and he and his brother have grown it to 5,000 hives. They um, keep the bees here in Wisconsin for the summer, but then in the winter they head down to Texas and they truck all their bees down there um, by flatbed uh, semis huh. and that's home base for them but the bees go to California to pollinate almonds they go to uh, Florida to, to pollinate citrus and those guys are over the road beekeepers which is a really interesting lifestyle that's a pretty cool uh, vacation uh, settlement plan for the bees yeah yeah so they <laughs> uh, uh, you know as we're here freezing they, they're uh, sending me photos of wherever they are in a citrus grove or in, you know, flowering almonds in, in California. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I am a little bit jealous. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, one of the reasons I like talking to the craft distilleries is about the, you know, the craft and how much hands-on and, and local community farms you work with. And yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. How much do you work with local farmers and, and what is craft distilling to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and really a big part, my answer will be a big part of why we exist. So, as I, as that agricultural operation that I worked for grew and grew and grew, um, part of me re-envisioning what I wanted to do with my life is how do I get uh, a little bit, not just back to hands-on, but uh, kind of close that relationship and the distance between end user and grower. Mm. Um, and that's really where distilling seemed like the best vehicle to do that. So um, for us, that really means just being, it, in tune with what we grow. And if we're not growing it ourselves, we have a really close relationship with the grower. Um, in, in our industry right now, that uh, to me is kind of a, a little misguided and, and, and there'll be some marketing that kind of, um, to me is a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but uh, for us, we, we really live by that ethos. So for us, that means that uh, if it's a bad year for, for corn or rye, um, we're going to feel that pain. Absolutely. Um, and Or a bad year for beekeeping, for example. Right. Um, so what do we grow here? Uh, well, first of all, everything we can is grown in Wisconsin and then a layer deeper, if possible, grown here in Egg Harbor. So we have an apple brandy on the shelf that's uh, grown by our friend. Uh, all the apples are grown and pressed by our friends at Highline Orchard. They also keep, um, we share crop some land for uh, wine production. So we, we do have a wine side of our business and we, we manage about 10 acres of, of grapevines. Mm. Um, I keep my bees in their orchard. Uh, and then we work with a local farmer. Um, he grows three varieties of grain for us, barley, uh, a variety of rye called AC Hazlitt rye, which is a whole nother story and how we found and, and decided to use that rye in our rye whiskey and then a component of one of our bourbons. And then a variety of corn. Um, 
And, you know, it's a challenge too. So, uh, you know, being committed to this idea of growing everything locally also means that you're committed to the challenges that come across with agriculture. Right. Here in Door County, it's just a short growing season. So there's a thing called degree days, which is kind of the magic, uh, you know, heat and sunlight unit that's required to fully mature uh, corn. Mm. Um, the degree days are not very high here in Door County. So we had to find a variety of corn that makes good bourbon, but also can grow and is viable here in Door County. So that right. was that was a fun, fun challenge. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I, you know, I whenever I talk to someone who's you know working with a community, working with local farms, there's a lot of TLC in, in that. You're you're right. really hands on. Yeah, it's not it's not the robotic big corporate corporation making nine thousand gallons of whiskey. It's which not to poo poo them. They have good whiskey, mm-hmm. but the small little craft distillery making these things by hand and, and having a hand on every little thing. Do you think there's a a part of that that adds to the quality of the whiskey or the fun for it for you? Yeah, I think. Uh... What I like to say is that all good beverage has a sense of place. Mm. So it has, uh, it should taste like where it came from. When you think of uh, spirits and spirit brands and even spirit types uh, that have become famous um, or well-known, they're, they all were made and are born from a place for a reason, whether that's uh, champagne or even like, uh, you know, chartreuse. Um <laughs> They all have this interesting story component, which I think does add to the flavor. And that's what we're trying to do here. So uh, everything we make uh, does have a sense of place. Yeah, I think there is a terroir to even growing grain. So grain can very much be a commodity product. And, and you know, some of those big distilleries do treat it like a commodity. Um, and here, you know, we might not have time or money to our advantage, like one of those big distilleries. But what do we have? We've, we've got that... Uh, extra you know extra set of hands extra touch um extra care uh or extra level of management and what we do and so i like to embrace that yeah absolutely and and to that point too and a lot lot of craft distilleries start out with you know you whiskey takes time to age right so what what was your first spirit what did you come in here to try to make first and then did you did you source anything in the beginning yep yep we did and we still do um so what did we make first we made the things we could make so we Started making whiskey right away and laying that down. We also made apple brandy that we uh, age in a Solera system. So Solaramine is kind of a wine uh, method of aging where you intermingle different ages uh, in a in a same barrel. Um, we did that right away and we started getting our Solera system going. Then we made clear spirits. So uh, we made a vodka from 100% honey uh, that we've discontinued. Um, and then we made a gin, um, and that one turned out to be the most popular right off the get-go. And so that's distilled from 100% honey. And then we actually foraged for some local botanicals in that. Uh, the main one is, well, besides um, uh, juniper berries, which is the predominant flavor of gin, mm. that happens to be native here to Wisconsin. So we're able to go out and forage for those. Right. Um, common juniper is actually, it's kind of cool. It's as a kid, you think of the itchy plant uh, that you had to kind of hike through if you're deer hunting here in northern Wisconsin. Right. Um, but it's also that uh, uh, happens to be that berry that flavors juniper. Everyone thinks of pine. We forage for that, and then we forage for uh, new growth white spruce tips. Oh, wow. Yeah, that gives the gin kind of a lemongrass note to it. You'd think that would be the gin flavor, like a Christmas tree, but uh, no, it's more of a, a lemongrass kind of flavor if you're ever uh, inclined to chew on a 
a new growth spruce tip, which I, I'm weird and I have. Um, yeah, it, it's, it was a common bittering agent for beer, um, especially when there was a hop shortage. And that's kind of where we got the idea. It's becoming much more common to use now, but I felt like we were pioneering five years ago. Now it's like, you know, we're no longer the cool kids. We got to reinvent ourselves again, apparently. Right, right. Yeah. And you still do a vodka and gin? We do the gin still. Okay. Um, we discontinued the vodka and that was mainly because we were just running out of bandwidth. Um, the other reason was our vodka was made because we were doing all this work and making it from honey and it was just a, a, a higher cost fermentable sugar. Uh, we were trying to honor that by letting a little flavor carry through. Mm. Most people who enjoy their vodka do not want flavor in vodka. You know, flavor is is usually taboo in vodka. Uh, vodkas mm-hmm. are in America um, supposed to be odorless, flavorless. Um, European vodkas tend to have a little bit of flavor. We were following that European tradition and people just didn't necessarily appreciate the flavor. The other thing is most vodka drinkers seem to be pretty brand loyal. Um, right. And so we just decided to kind of abandon that effort. Um, we still get quite a bit of grief here in the tasting room for not making more vodka, but, uh, I feel like our, our energy is better suited towards other, other products. Yeah, absolutely. Now I, so I've seen you in, in stores around the area. Are you within all of Wisconsin? Are you trying to get outside of the state belt? What's yeah. the plan? So we're distributed throughout Wisconsin. Um, and that's been going really well. We're working on uh, getting distribution in neighboring states, but uh, to be very transparent, that's a pretty up, that's an uphill battle for oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just like craft brewing was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, distilling uh, is taking that same trajectory. There seems to be a new distillery coming online um, pretty regularly. And so just getting, uh, getting some kind of foothold and traction in these neighboring states and finding a distributor to take us on is, um, it's been work so far, but, uh, we've got some leads, so hopefully it, hopefully it works out. What, what, what's, what would you say to someone that like, hey, there's so many distilleries out there, a lot of crap distilleries popping up. Every mom yeah. and pop has a distillery, which is awesome for people who like whiskey, right. but what sets you apart in your opinion? Is there something unique about Hatch that says, Hey, this is something unique. You should try this. Yeah. I go back to that sense of place. Okay. Um, yeah, really sense of place informs everything we do and all the decisions we make. Uh, in what we make. So, um, for example, when we started, we we were buying in agave extract and making a tequila-like product that we couldn't call tequila. And it felt kind of um, just, it, it felt like it didn't have much of an identity. Um, it didn't have a soul behind it. And so we just discontinued that because it didn't really match our values. Oh. So um, there's an example of, you know, uh, of where we struggled to kind of find our our own identity and so i think that's what stands us apart is one we're one of the few distilleries doing uh products from honey it's okay. just difficult and costly yep um to our involvement with our growers um is is pretty extensive and then that sense of place here in door county we have uh orchards you know brilliant agriculture and growers uh, you know Everything we make here comes from Egg Harbor. I joke that, you know, most of the products we make here are are sourced uh, and never leave Egg Harbor. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that's tough to say. Yeah. 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 Uh, the other cool thing is Egg Harbor is a, a town of, I think the last census, uh, they counted 240 eligible voters. So, wow. Um, 
if you go to bourbon country in, in Kentucky, there's more barrels of bourbon than there are people. <laughs> well, we have that in Egg Harbor too. Um, you know, we've got more barrels of bourbon laid down than we do people. And um, yeah, it's, it's a tourist destination and we get pretty busy here in the summer, but uh, in the winter, you know, we know everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can joke that uh, our uh, quality assurance department is a is a community of 200 people yeah oh, yeah that's that's cool well tell me a little bit about hatch itself that is, yeah. it, is it more of a cocktail bar and come in and do tastings or any food at all or no food okay um just you know just uh craft cocktails and and sampling and that took me by surprise you know i thought when we opened the distillery it would be um more of just a tasting experience come in and 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 taste to kind of help you decide what bottle you would buy. Right. We started offering craft cocktails and that popularity just took me by surprise. I did not think that we would turn into such a craft cocktail experience, but you kind of have to listen to what people are interested in. Um, and it's turned out really well. Like I'm, you know, I'm happy with the popularity. So as far as what we do here, um, all the production is done here in Egg Harbor. And then we also have a, a craft cocktail lounge here where, um, you we're open year round uh weekends in the winter and and every day for summer and fall um and fall is the busiest time here in door county oh yeah our busiest month by far is october when the fall colors start to show sure yeah it's uh it's pretty crazy well i will say i mean i having come up here a lot of my my entire life that the the colors in door county itself just it's beautiful up here so i understand yeah. and having distillers up here and why I mean, obviously wineries everywhere you look mm -hmm. it's pretty cool backdrop it sure is yeah and we have a really neat community of makers here too yeah i mean besides the you'd think you get to a northern rural community things like culture and and culinary you know food and restaurant scene would would kind of fall off as far as quality goes but because of the support of the tourism industry we have here um, we have all that going on. Amazing theater and art, um, great restaurants, and then uh, all kinds of makers, too, because yeah. of all the fruit growers here and that history. Um, you got a lot of neat uh, winemakers and uh, a couple of distilleries. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, should we uh, should we try some whiskey? You should definitely dive in. Yeah. Well, so what, what, tell me what I should have first. Yeah, I can. Um, if you go left to right, okay. it's our rye whiskey. That'll be the first one. Okay. So that's... Uh, that's just a seasonal offering for us right now. Um, that one will be a mainstay here in probably three more years. We just started uh, putting that into our production lineup and laying those down uh, with a little bit more intention, but those are just a few uh, experimental barrels that we uh, you, we developed, well, we used to develop our mash bill, and then we just decided to release those here this summer. And we talked before we got on the air, uh, yeah. this is a 70% rye? Yep, that's 75 or yeah, 70% rye. And the variety of rye there is called AC Hazlet rye. So um I'm gonna nerd out on you a little bit. Um <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a a spirits association called the American Craft Spirits Association, and they have conventions every year. Um and one of the conventions, we uh northern Minnesota farmer and distiller, he he's an estate uh, distiller, he partnered with the University of Minnesota and did trials on rye uh, growing and, and then not just the viability of growing rye, but how it translates into distillate and how, how the flavor uh, translates and carries over on the still. 
So he released, it was pretty neat. Uh, we listened to a talk uh, from him and he uh, had a bunch of distillate with him. Mm -hmm. So we, we got to taste what the distillate tastes like, even though it was unaged. And then we also got to talk to him about growing in northern Minnesota. And, and the thought is if it can grow there, it can probably grow here. Sure. Um, so we landed on this variety called AC Hazlitt Rye. Um, it's a heritage variety and it uh, gives it a real, there's a sweetness to this rye that's a little less spicy, I think, than traditional ryes. Yes. And then um, it's got a like a burnt raisin undertone to it. Um, it. At least that's what we felt like it carried over into the distillate. And we're super happy with it. Um, it makes up a big part of our Fellowship Bourbon mash bill too. Um, the other neat thing about rye is it is a cover crop for our grain grower. Mm. So actually, four weeks ago, I was just out um, with him on uh, one of our urban cornfields. He was using a drone to fly over uh, rye seed and overspread, overcast rye seed over corn. So when he goes back and harvests uh, corn, the rye will be coming up as a, as a, actually this one won't be harvested for our whiskey. This is just a a cover crop that he'll end up tilling under here in spring and planting wow. over. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But a really cool crop in his rotation. Um, and the other the cool thing was um, <laughs> when you go out and ask farmers to grow a, a variety of grain that they've never heard of. Sure. Um, it kind of weeds out who's, you know, <laughs> who's adventurous and willing to go along with you for the ride and, and who thinks you're crazy and chases you out of the driveway. Right. Well, I will say this is this is probably one of the more uh, complex ryes I've had from local craft distilleries. This is it's a yeah, lot thanks. of a sweet rye spiciness, but that spiciness doesn't carry through. It it almost translates almost into a, a bourbon sweetness, right. which is really unique. Yep, there's a touch of corn in that, and I think that's where you're picking up that bourbon yeah. undertone. Um, but yeah, what I like about it is um, it's you know traditionally whiskey. Uh, rye will impart a spice character to a whiskey um this rye isn't so spicy that it's it's overpowering so it's it stands up alone yeah um yeah there's enough spice there to carry through in those traditional rye cocktails like a manhattan right right yeah. and what's the proof on that the proof is 90 most of our whiskeys are bottled at 90 proof okay seems to be a sweet spot for us yeah for sure because there are some ryes out there that i mean they're, they're good but sometimes that rye spice takes over and almost feels like a higher cast strength because yeah. of the the spice tricks your brain to say "Ooh, this is kind of hot right right um and then yeah it, it, and especially at high proof sometimes yeah. uh the spice plus the high proof can be a little abrasive right at least on my palate yeah, yeah absolutely well, all right what's next so next, you've got our Fellowship Bourbon. So that's the most popular product we make. Okay. Uh, this is actually a, a blend of sourced and uh, our own made here in-house. Um, so this is a bourbon that's aged over three years. Uh, the one you're drinking is probably about four years. Um, and it is the mash bill on that is 75%. No, let me back up. It is 65% corn, 35% rye. So pretty simple mash bill. Um, but what I love about it is it's just a, um, a very, very, very approachable bourbon. It's, it's not overly complex or layered. Um, just kind of let the quality ingredients speak for themselves and not try to overdo it. Yeah, I, this is like I was approachable is a good word. I think this is a very good, almost entry level bourbon to show what bourbon can be. Right. And I think there's a lot of bourbons out there that try to be too much. 
Yeah. And, and this is, this is, and I, I prefer a high rye bourbon mm-hmm. personally to yeah. my palate, but this is good. Very good. Yeah. I like it. I like uh, the corn sweetness. Uh, you know, if, if I'm going to drink a bourbon, I definitely want it to uh, tell me it's bourbon mm-hmm. and there's enough corn there to do that. Um, after that, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I love weeded bourbons too. So <laughs> don't chase me out of the room, all the weeded bourbon drinkers. But, um, yeah, I just, I like that little rye backbone to it. I, yeah. That's what I enjoy. That's yeah, that's very good. It, it's, uh, this is where it's almost the opposite of the rye where that, that sweetness takes over, but that little bit of spice lingers in your mouth and it tells you like, Hey, there's more to this. Right. And it's, right. it's really good. It, it, it lingers on the tongue a lot. I love yeah. that. The other thing I like about a high rye bourbon in this is the, the, my father's an accountant. So this is, this is my father's voice in my <laughs> ear. Um, you know, as you start laying down inventory, the cost of carrying inventory in a craft distillery is very, very high. And at some point you have to start to cash flow. Um, these high rye bourbons to me, as they drink good, even a little bit young, like, you know, if I was going to be very critical and self-critical, mm-hmm. um, I would say this one does come across a little bit young, but for me that, uh, that mash bill with a little bit of rye in it kind of helps balance out the, the, the green notes to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot of rye and high rye bourbons too have this sometimes have an unappealing earthy note to it. Yeah. And this has a more appealing earthy note to it. You can tell it's more, I don't know, grain to glass almost. Maybe yeah. it's kind of cliche to say, say, but no, I don't think so. I think there's some, um, especially in, you know, we're, uh, we have a pot still and some of these column, uh, distilled spirits might have a little bit of a solvent note. Oh, yeah. And to me that solvent I, I enjoy the solvent note in a lot of whiskeys, but if there's any rye in the mash bill or, or a rye whiskey in particular, I'm a little, I don't enjoy the solvent note. To me, it just does not pair well with that rye spice. So I think here's an example of, we might as well just embrace what we are. So the pot still, um, the high rye, it just seems to go well together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's a showcase of a good bourbon right there. I think. Yeah, thank you. So that you said that's your most popular. Yep, that's been the most popular. Uh, you know, it might be also just be a function of we've we've been making that since day one. We sourced it originally, um, and now it's just as we've aged our own, it's a blend of sourced and, and our own. So, yeah. is is the goal down the road to get to just all yours? I'd love to get there. Uh, at the same time, I enjoy selling at whiskey too, not just making it. So right. um, if we never get there because we're selling too much, I won't complain. I promise I won't complain. <laughs> Do you, I, I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, sometimes you, you have to play with, you know, the cash register needs product. Right. So do you sometimes find yourself saying, ah, crap, this uh, we need more product. So I have to take this barrel earlier than I want to. Or do you, are you able to stash away some stuff and let it age? And you know yeah. what I mean? No, originally we did feel that pressure and there were, you know, um, we released everything as a straight whiskey. So it was a minimum of two years old. Right. There were moments in our say third, fourth year where, um, the shelf might've been bare because it just wasn't quite aged enough to, that we were comfortable releasing it. We're past that pressure now. Um, now our, our goal is just to through the entire lineup to age everything out longer. Um, but you know, no significant pressure that we have to leave a shelf empty. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, next up. Next up will be our 1916 bourbon. So what is, what is this one? Uh, I like to say if Irish whiskey uh, 
had an illegitimate love child with American bourbon. Um, this would be this would be its its illegitimate child. So 1916 is the year of the Irish Revolution. Okay. Irish whiskeys uh, get their traditional flavor profile from unmalted barley in the mash bill, and that's what this one is. So this one is about 60% corn, then 20% malted barley, and 20% unmalted barley. That unmalted barley component gives it that barn straw, even a touch of green apple, um, traditional Irish whiskey kind of notes to it pair. Yeah. Um, so well, cool story there. From what I'm told, and this might be true or not, but let's pretend it's true and I'm, <laughs> I'm sounding smart today. Mm -hmm. um, somewhere along the way, the Irish government started uh, taxing the inclusion of malted barley in the mash bill. Mm. Um, so a lot of thrifty uh, Irish distillers started including unmalted barley in their uh, mash component just as a way to get around that tax. That's where Irish whiskey um, you know, got its character from. Right, right. And so besides the pot still and all those things. So um, here we are, we have the pot still. Um, I have a distiller who loves Irish whiskey. And so we were dreaming up, how do we come up with an interesting bourbon that's not just, you know, not another trying to be something else and, and back to that sense of place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our grower here grows barley for us and it's actually tough to get barley malted. So doing something with the unmalted barley uh, is really fun and interesting. Yeah, this is way different than the Fellowship bourbon. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a good way. <clears throat> There's a lot more going on here, and it actually dries out your mouth a little bit mm -hmm. um, in a pleasant way, almost like a Cabernet would. Um, but yeah, that all, that unmalted barley adds so much different flavor. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of a mind bender. I think yeah. it definitely drinks like an Irish whiskey. Um, mm -hmm. Less, you know, I when we first developed that mash bill, I thought that that corn sweetness would carry through a little bit more and possibly overpower sure. uh, that barley component, but um, you still get a little malt there for sure. And then you get that, those kind of green Irish whiskey flavors. Um, you know, those flavors too kind of mask some of those young flavors that you might find in a, in a young whiskey. Right. Um, so again, it just felt like a good product as far as like, as we age up. Um, I think that flavor will definitely evolve as we age. Uh, but right now, even as a slightly younger whiskey, or maybe, may, you know, arguably unmature or immature, um, I still think it's a very pleasant drinking whiskey. Did, was How much trial and error was there in finding that, that mash bill? Because, it, boy, it's 60% corn. That does not drink like a 60% corn bourbon. Mm -hmm. And it's really unique. So have you, did you have to do a lot of, you know, hey, we're going to try this, and oh, that's not good enough, so let's not put it on the shelf? Yeah, there's... Um, you know, the trial and error kind of has a different category. So there's some that's just like, how, how does it work in our production system? Mm -hmm. You know, what does our grain storage look like? Um, what do our fermenters look like? And how does a 60% corn uh, or, for example, a high rye, how does that perform in the fermenter? So there's all that kind of troubleshooting, figuring out what kind of mash bill is going to work just logistically. Right. Um, but then, you know, also then you got to follow it through on the flavor side. The other thing is these experiments have this component of time and that time variable is tough to work around. And sometimes you're just doing an informed, informed guess. Cause at some point, you know, if we're going to release this whiskey in three years, you got to kind of commit to, um, okay, we're going to do this. Right. And then two, we're, it's going to be hopefully this popular and we're going to lay down this many barrels and you got to kind of forecast what that might look like. So 
I'm not sure I answered your question. So, um, some uh, are much more trial and error. And it usually depends on how long we're going to age this out. Sure. Um, if we're going to age it out a ways, you just kind of have to commit. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you do a few, taste them, taste them right off the still. You kind of let your experience inform what that might, that product might evolve like in a barrel. Um, if it's going to be something that's, um, you know, can, can be proofed down and bottled right off the still, then we can, we have all the time, plenty of time to iterate and, and little do a little bit more experimentation. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the cool things about being a craft distiller, I'm sure too, is you have a little bit more freedom to experiment mm -hmm. that you, I mean, you, you're not tied to like, we have to make our same product every year to taste identical. It's more, yeah. you're kind of resigning the fact that, Hey, the summer might be not as warm as before. Right. You're going to have a whole different barrel note in that, in that yeah. whiskey. Um, well, I even imagine that, you know, we were talking about this recently is like, you know, it's hard to ignore that there's probably going to be a barrel shortage uh, in the next few years that our industry is going to deal with. Mm -hmm. So we're already planning about how we're going to deal with that. And part of that might be incorporating a second use in a lot of these barrels that we weren't originally going to do that. You know, as we considered that, we had to consider, well, what's flavor drift going to look like for some of these products? And, you know, our general consensus there was that I don't know that flavor drift is as big of a deal here for for our consumer you know um one i think they will accept that coming from a craft distillery sure two how refined are the palates of our typical consumer um are they even going to notice that flavor drift how are they enjoying this spirit are they mixing it anyways right <laughs> i mean if it's going to be a whiskey and coke it doesn't matter <laughs> do you that's, a, that's actually a good point you make do you find that in this line of business do you find more people who are just they don't really care what it is. They just think that it's, hey, at least it's not Jack Daniels or Jim Beam, so I'm going to make it something local and put it in my Coke? Or is it someone who's coming here to be snobbish and learn about the whiskey? I think a, a, a blend of both worlds there. Um, there's plenty of people who are, you know, they they tell me, you know, they buy our most expensive bottle of whiskey, and I talked to them for a half an hour about how we make it and, you know, what flavors they're going to find, and, and we enjoy a sample. And then they tell me that they're, you know, they're going to go home and they can't wait to go home and mix that with Coca-Cola. <laughs> I, that used to bother me. Yeah. It, it does not anymore because, uh, first of all, some of those caramel color style flavors in Coca-Cola go great with whiskey. Sure. I'm not, I don't fault anyone for enjoying their life and living it the way they want to. Um, and two, they're buying, buying one of our bottles. Um, so I, you know, I'm happy to sell them a bottle. Right. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of those people who are mixing it. And I mean, there's great cocktails out there and I enjoy one he, uh, here and there too. Um, and then there's just as many people who are very, very interested in it and interested in the nuances of, of what makes what they're drinking interesting. Um, I love that it can be everybody, you know, we're, it's uh, our, our door opens the same way. I don't care which way you vote or what you drink, you know, we're, we're here. I think the cool thing about here is that, um, you know, for example, all these growers, there's no way the farm that we work with sells commodity grain. They sell specialty grown grain for us and they sell commodity milk. There's no way for them to take advantage of the, the tourism industry that we get to enjoy here in Door County. Right. This is an opportunity for them to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool so, aspect. Yeah. It's really neat. And I, I think, um, you know, people 
collaborating and being makers, it's just great for everybody. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, too, I, 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 I know there's a lot of people out there who are snobbish about their whiskey, but a good whiskey is a whiskey you enjoy, and however you enjoy it is however you enjoy it. Exactly. I mean, they, I, I don't know, you've probably heard the story before, but there's a, there's a group of people who, uh, they won the lottery from uh, the Buffalo Trace to get a, to source a couple of Pappy Van Winkle bottles for that one release a couple years ago. Mm. And uh, they bought it, and then they made a YouTube video uh, making jello shots out of Pappy Van Winkle 23-year-old bourbon. And, of course, the internet goes crazy because everyone thinks Pappy Van Winkle is the end-all be-all for bourbon. Right, right. Is it really worth $2,200? Who's to say? But they made jello shots, and mm. Buffalo Trace blacklisted them from ever getting bourbon again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was a good jello shot. <laughs> um, how good? You're right, right. I, I, yeah. No, I probably would have shed a tear over watching that YouTube video too. Um, but to each their own. Right. To each their own. And I can't fault anyone. Um, you know, I, I joke too. Um, I enjoy wine. But is my palate refined enough to pick up on the nuances between some of those? Nah, it's not. It's not. I have to be honest with myself. It's not. and um, It doesn't mean I don't enjoy it more or less. I just try to be thoughtful in everything I do. Right. Yeah. No, that, yeah. hey, that makes sense. All right. So the next sample, what's this? Yes, yeah, so we're on to the number four, which is our Dock Wall Single Malt Whiskey. So this is an American single malt. American single malt is having a really cool moment, uh, uh, especially in this craft industry. So... Um, Single malt whiskey has to be made from 100% malted barley. Uh, ours is that. What makes ours a little unique is that we use some really unique varieties of malt in our mash bill. That uh, coming out of the fermenter looks like a very dark beer. Mm. Um, and if you drink it, um, I don't want to lead you down. You know, it's kind of like leading a horse to water here, but I'll start throwing out flavors. And, and sometimes people go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure they got there on their own. <laughs> right. But, um, Dark chocolate notes. Um, think of like a like a burnt marshmallow s'more. You got choc chocolate. You got that kind of um, multi gram note. You got that burnt sugar note. Um, it's it's a really unique single malt. It's the ones if I have whiskey nerds coming by and there's one thing I'm I'm gonna show off. That would be it. It'd be our our Doc Wall single malt. Well, as a, as a scotch guy myself, that's, uh, I mean, I know American single malt is pretty much a copy of scotch or attempt to be what a yeah, scotch is right. doing. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very sweet, I, you see, like you said, little horse to water. I get a lot of chocolate on that. Right. Right. That's impressive. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's made just like you would a, a scotch. The only difference would be that we don't use any smoked barley mm. in, in that mash bowl. So you won't pick up, um smoky notes um, just because there aren't any in the roasting of the of the barley another cool thing about that is the story there so doc wall doc wall was this fermentation scientologist or fermentation science um a person who he opened up the school of fermentology in chicago and he taught a lot of the pre-prohibition brewers uh, for all the big houses, hmm. the Anheuser-Busch, the, all those. Um, and he was kind of the godfather of fermentation. Then Prohibition hit, and uh, Doc Wall um, had a place here in Door County, actually just north of here, that he kind of wrote out Prohibition uh, up here. It sounds like with a mistress. <laughs> um, but yeah, the godfather of, of fermentation and, and American brewing um, is, happened to be a local. 
So wow. uh, we named the we named the whiskey after him because uh, you know I can't imagine he didn't pass by uh, on this highway a few times uh, back in the day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet he'd love this. This is good. Yeah, it's cool. Um, what's the aging on this? So the aging on that guy is probably right around four years. Okay. Um, and that's so uh, American single malt. You could get away with using a used barrel. We go right into new cooperage with that. So oh, okay. Yep. Right into the same barrels that our bourbon goes into. So it has that, um, I'll call it a, a charcoal kind of a oak flavor to it um, from that new barrel. Yeah, I was going to say it has a lot more of an oaky flavor. Yeah. Um, did, where, speaking of Cooperage, where do you get your barrels? We get all our barrels from Kelvin Cooperage. Okay, um, I know that's a big one. Yep. Yeah, that's a big house. You know, um, we ended up with them just because of it most consistent and the barrel quality was just where we needed it to be. We worked with a few other vendors originally. Um, but then as pressure came on, especially coming out of COVID and all the supply chain issues, yeah. um, we just, we kind of had to double down with one supplier and, and commit to a strong relationship there. And, um, it's been great so far. They just went through an acquisition. So there's new owners at Kelvin. So I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I, so far all signs seem to, to tell us that it's going to remain the same and, and well, be a good, good thing. Yeah. yeah. And then are you changing up the char for each at all or? No, right now, um, you know, not to give away uh, too many secrets, but uh, sure. no, right now, uh, no difference in the char or toast level. Um, if someone came to me and asked me for advice on on uh, barrel aging, um, I would just tell them I'm a firm believer in the, the toast level. I, I think that that's the most important, especially for a, a craft distillery using a pot still. Um, right. If you're not uh, laying down this stuff for as long of a time as some of the big guys, I think you need to be looking at your toast level more than your char level. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, last sample. Last sample is a little bit of a dessert. So this is kind of, I, I joke, it's a bourbon with training wheels. So honey barrel bourbon back to, um, back to our beekeeping. So each year we age uh, some honey in bourbon barrels and turn around and empty those and, and uh, sell that here on the shelves. And that's, popular we sell out every year of that barrel aged honey then we turn around and put bourbon back into those barrels so all that residual honey stuck to the um, outside of the barrels put bourbon back in age that for a while and then you get this uh, this sweetened honey barrel bourbon that we do it's uh, we got a touch more honey to it and we uh, we actually proof it down to about 70 proof to make it super approachable um, you know honestly how did we get there our distributor kept asking us for something that uh, was, you know, they were selling the, the Jeepers out of uh, uh, any of their honey whiskey products. And they said, we don't have any craft distillery doing something like this. And we just know you guys and know you could do it better. So they came to us and asked us to try it. Um, I ignored them for as long as I could, <laughs> but probably about a year of, of badgering and uh, I gave in. Um, and, you know, they were right. It's, it's, uh, popular here in the tasting room and one of our most popular in distribution too that, and that and it's a bourbon that's in there yep it's a bourbon that's in there it's that same mash bill as our fellowship bourbon okay so you do get a little rye spice to balance out that honey sweetness um and just you know i what's interesting about it and what i tell people it's all of the people who are a little afraid of drinking spirits neat or have you know, don't necessarily like that high proof uh, experience of drinking whiskey. This one brings them around. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a, it really is training wheels. I mean, I, I could, 
I can see where people would start drinking something like that, slightly sweet, and it can kind of lead you into appreciating the, the finer points of whiskey in general, but particularly bourbon. Yeah, no, that, I mean, you, like you said, dessert in the beginning, that's it's definitely a dessert, a dessert whiskey. And I mean, the honey is so clear on that. And I think and maybe it's just nostalgia for the fact that you're using your own honey or, mm. or you know, at least Wisconsin honey. Right. That's so good. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little embarrassed at how much I like that. I should, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm probably losing some, losing some tough guy points here. But no, and everyone, like I said earlier, everyone should just enjoy what you drink. Don't right. apologize about it. Well, tell me about. So you you proof it down to seventy proof. Mm-hmm. Was that a deliberate choice for the market, or is it yeah. just for the flavor? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. So that one, uh, you know, I didn't want. Uh, if we're going to sweeten something up one, I didn't want to have to sweeten it up um, so intensely to try to counterbalance a high proof spirit. Mm. And I, I felt like that would just be this internal fight between sweetness and proof. Um, so I wanted to bring that proof down so that we could get away with just a subtle sweetness um, versus a cloyingly sweet product just right. to try to find a balance. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. And how, how long do you finish it in a, a, a honey barrel? doesn't take very long. Yeah, so not long at all. Um, probably you know a month at the most. Sometimes. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess uh, last big question: yeah. are there, Is there anything that you else experimental that you're doing? Is there? Are you looking at maybe doing a wine cask or a cask strength bourbon or what's Great what's question. what's coming up? Yeah, um, things we have going on. We have, um, like I said, a bunch of rye laid down, really embracing that uh, locally grown AC Hazlitt rye. Mm-hmm. Um, we just released a product called Cherry Abstract, which is for people who aren't from Door County, have never visited here. Door County is is cherry country. We're a, a, one of the nation's uh, uh, premier cherry growers, and we grow a tart cherry. So to do something locally, we had a lot of people coming in asking, "Are you going to do something with cherry?" Um, <laughs> for me, there's just the danger there of, of doing an alcoholic cherry product. You go right, your mind goes right to cough syrup and those flavors. So we um, we actually ferment and distill uh, cherry wine so that's the base and then we add uh, cherry juice honey and then a bunch of bittering herbs to it oh. um, so that's our our local take on a on a cherry product that's been really fun to develop that one we just released that one um, other things coming up you know we have this uh, wine and mead side and really a lot of my creative energy has gone towards that as we just try to keep up with the you know, we have all we can do to keep up with production for the products we make right now on the distilling side. Right. But there's always, we're always kind of uh, uh, toying with some one-offs. I think the next one-off we'll probably do. And I haven't even said this to my distiller yet, but he's been bugging me enough that I, I think I have to cave in here shortly. It's probably some some type of um, herbal product, whether that's um, some type of herbal liqueur, or if that's um, you know, even like an aquavit, he's been really asking for an aquavit, and I could see I could see us doing something like that, maybe even just for the tasting room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. I, I'm a big mead fan too. So, okay, cool. And, and this this last sample we had actually reminds me a little bit of a, right. a, a higher proof mead. Right, because it's got that uh, the viscosity of, of yeah. The mead. I mean, yeah. I, I've already I had a sip of water and still have that honey note on my tongue. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's 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 exciting. Cool. Uh, well, hey, I, I appreciate you having me here, and uh, this is a pretty cool operation you got going on. Um, yeah, thanks for joining I'll us. I'll definitely be back. 
because I visit, I visit family here all the time. So, um, but thank you so much, man. This has been an amazing experience and, uh, I'll, I'll definitely tell people about Hatch. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews, the easier we are to find. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss any of our updates. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and always be sure to drink responsibly. There are quite literally thousands of distilleries, so we're just getting started. Stay tuned for more conversations with master distillers, distillery owners, mixologists, and even bar owners, and more. Cheers.